You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. We began a series a few weeks ago with a strange title, and I will unpack that strange title here in just a few moments. The, the name of the series is called Unsaved Christian, and purposefully, we were trying to gain your attention by that, to make you ask a few questions. In fact, had a few people um, email me these past few weeks from other states that said, we, just, we saw the name of the, the series, and we had to watch out of curiosity of what, what was what this was all about, an unsaved Christian. In fact, one person wasn't too happy we named it that title because they were aggravated that we would even put that out there. However, if I think if you have been here the last few weeks or if you want to go back and listen to the last few weeks, I pray that it, it is helpful for you to understand the reality that really everyone in this room, everyone in Waco, everyone in the world really belongs to, to one of, of, of two camps. One who, who is saved in Christ Jesus, their lives are hidden in Christ, hidden in the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. No middle territory. And then the other camp, if you will, are those who reject the grace of God or in that exact same camp, those who think they're saved but not saved. And let me just say probably the most loving thing I can do for a church like this is not tickle your ears to try to give you some false hope or false confidence that you are saved. But the most loving thing I can do is just give you truth from God's word and then let the spirit of the Lord deal with your hearts individually. Um, God has always been in the business of dealing with individual hearts. We, as Americans, we're the ones who've kind of classified it as, well, God, speak to our church, or God, speak to, speak to your people. But God has always been in the business of speaking to individuals. And so if God's going to wrestle with your heart today, I, can I go ahead and tell you, go ahead and surrender now. You never win a battle with the God that you wrestle with. Surrender and be ready to see what God would say to you today. So here's a definition of an unsaved Christian. An unsaved Christian is one who is Christian in name and in culture, but is not a new person in Christ. This would be a self-titled Christian, but not a new creation in Jesus. They may call themselves Christians. They perhaps are even involved in the culture of Christianity. They come to church. They, they love to serve. They love to be around godly people. They speak the Christian dialect. They pray, probably even, even read their Bible. They, 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 they are moral people. And in fact, even love morality. But they're not saved. They know a lot about Christ, but Christ does not know them. And there's a situation all throughout Scripture that I've noticed these past few years. This particular situation in Scripture has made the West, Americans, more and more uncomfortable every time it's brought up. So get ready for some discomfort today. Because God speaks so clearly about this a situation in Scripture that make people, makes people today feel so uncomfortable in our, in our culture. Just consider some of the trending words in our culture today. How about the word inclusion? Be who you want to be, and you're in. I mean, you can be counter to Scripture, counter to historic Christianity, counter to biology, counter to family, 
but there's still this expectation for inclusion, that, that you're in, that, that you're a part, and you're not going to be left out. That word is trending in our culture today. How about the trending word of tolerance? Do what you want to do, and it's acceptable. Act however you want to act. Live the exact opposite of Scripture. Live harmfully, live rebelliously, live selfishly, and it's fine. The people around you will just need to adjust to the life that you've chosen to live. Another word that's trending so much in our culture today, non-judgmentalism. Live how you want to live, and no one has the right to judge you. You make choices that you want to make for, for your own life, and, and really, if anyone speaks against that or even speaks about that or even speaks about it in love and in care, they have no right at all to speak into your life or to judge you. There are no consequences for my behavior as long as I'm just sincere. No one can judge you because it's your life. Now, let me tell you, those words aren't bad words for democracy. But when inclusion and tolerance and non-judgmentalism slips into the teachings of Jesus about the kingdom, and what Jesus said was coming one day for everyone in this room, then our nation's definitions of inclusion and tolerance and non-judgmentalism are found nowhere in Scripture. In fact, there are passages that fly right in the face of those three things you see on the screen. Let's go there together. It should be the easiest book for you to find, the book of Matthew, very first book in the New Testament. We've been in some of these passages already, so let's go to chapter 7 together. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to reread what we read a few weeks ago, maybe two weeks back in, in verse 13. And just recall those words, if you don't mind. Just our, our nation's infatuation with inclusion, tolerance, non-judgmentalism. Matthew 7 Verse 13, if you have a red letter Bible, this will be red letters. If you don't have a red letter Bible, just a reminder, this is the Son of God speaking. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are, big word, many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, in the context of this sermon, you can jump down to verse 21 of that same chapter, chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 21. So Jesus is continuing to, to talk, and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me call a quick time out. What is the will of the Father in heaven? Is that people be saved by believing upon his Son. This is why he sent his Son. And on that day, Many, the exact same word we saw up in verse 13, and on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, look at all these things we did. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then Jesus will declare to them, Jesus said, then I will declare to them, I never knew you, relationship. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, in this same book, would you mind just flipping over a few pages, probably 15, 16 pages, actually, to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew's going to wrap up this gospel of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And Jesus is still speaking here in Matthew 25. If you don't mind just jumping down to verse 31. 
<laughs> Remember our words, inclusion, tolerance, non-judgmentalism. Verse 31, and when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, come inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And in that same sermon, you can jump down to verse 41, that same narrative that Jesus is giving his followers, giving us today, verse 41 of chapter 25. Then he, still Christ, will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not come to visit me. Then they will answer also saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Let's split the difference and go back to Matthew 13. This will be our, our passage today. In Matthew 13, Jesus is going to speak in a lot of parables. I think it's eight parables just in this one chapter. Uh, why is it that Jesus speaks in parables often to, to us? Well, Jesus loves to reveal truth in such a way that all could understand. And by the way, that is his mercy. That he doesn't tell us confusing things about his nature, or confusing things about his kingdom, but instead he, he, he makes known to us, he reveals what, what might seem mysterious, reveals all this truth to us in such a way that we can understand. So let's pick up uh, in this parable. It's verse 24. This is the parable of the weeds. So Matthew chapter 13, verse, verse 24. So he, meaning Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be, may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, there's the fruitfulness of the true plants, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and, and gather them? But he, the master, said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together, key word, together, until the harvest and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat, important possessive pronoun, into my barn. Now, a lot of times Jesus will tell a parable and he'll just let it be. Other times Jesus tells a parable, and fortunately probably for some of us, the disciples come back and go, that was a great story what were you talking about? Like, can you explain it to us? That's what happens with this particular parable. It's about the disciples, if you don't mind picking it up here in verse, in verse 36, of all the parables Jesus has told, they want to revisit that one. Verse 36, then he, meaning Jesus, left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, hey, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Jesus answered, 
The one who sows the good seed is me, the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy has sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the weeds were gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin, gather out all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears... If you want to check and make sure yours are still there, let them hear. Remember the context here is that Jesus has come onto the scene and everyone in Israel already thinks they are in the kingdom. They think because of their nationality, because of their culture, because of their heritage, because of their upbringing, that they are already a part of the kingdom. They will always be in the kingdom. They will never see judgment. They will not be judged. They have practiced all these Jewish religious practices. But what we're seeing in the teachings of Jesus here is that some are a part of the kingdom and some are not a part of the kingdom. So let's take apart this parable for a few moments, if you don't mind. The good seed represents true believers. He tells this story where in verse 24 and verse 28, uh, 38, excuse me, the good seed, it represents true believers, th those who are bearing fruit. The good seed represents true believers, the sons and daughters of the kingdom, who submit to the reign of God in Christ. These are those fruit-bearing plants that Jesus talked about in the previous parable, which we won't read in its entirety, but just pick up the very end of the previous parable uh, there in verse 23. Jesus said, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one, so that this is the true believers, the one who hears the word and understands it, and then he indeed bears fruit, and he yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60, in another, 30. There's spiritual growth, there's discipleship, they're looking more and more like Christ, as we see depicted in the rest of the New Testament. So the good seed represents true believers. They've heard the word of God, they believe the word of God, they receive the word of God. The Holy Spirit allowed them to understand the word of God. They're growing in their faith, true believers. Secondly, the weeds represent counterfeit believers. In the parable, don't, I, you probably didn't miss this, but it's really important to see. These people are living or growing side by side with the true believers. We see that in verse 26. And may even look like they're a part of the kingdom. Let's just read that again, verse 29 and verse 30. Look at the togetherness of this or the close proximity of, of of the counterfeit and the true, verse 29. But he said, no, when they asked, should we go ahead and pull up everything now or pull the weeds out now? Jesus said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you grow up, uh, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until, until the harvest. And at harvest time, then I will tell the reapers, you gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but then gather the wheat into my barn." The reality of those who are, are weeds, representing counterfeit believers, or if you don't mind us calling them today unsaved Christians, the reality is that their hearts are far from Jesus, although they may be around Jesus' people all the time. 
and love being around the, the church culture, the Christian culture all the time, and yet reality is their hearts are far from Jesus. And there is no question at all in the rest of the Gospel of Matthew as well as all the New Testament, for that matter, that some, even many people, profess to have faith, but they don't actually know nor embrace Christ as king for who he really is. What about the harvest? We saw Jesus define this very easily, uh, simply for us, or with great clarity. The harvest then represents future judgment. In this parable, you have these fruit-bearing plants sitting side by side with these weeds. Then you have the workers in the field that come and say in verse 28, should we go ahead and separate the two and go ahead and pull out the weeds? And the owner says in verse 29, no, don't do that. It's not time. The Jews believed, a little more context here, the Jews believed that when the Messiah came, he would immediately bring judgment to those outside of the Jewish heritage, outside of the Jewish family, especially those who were oppressing the Jews, which were the Romans at that time. This is why you might remember that John the Baptist was a little hesitant to believe, even at the beginning, that Christ really was the Messiah because he was not immediately judging people for their wickedness or for their unrighteousness. And so John the Baptist even had a little hesitancy there for just a few moments because the judgment had not happened yet on those who were unrighteous. So Jesus was saying in, the, in this parable, oh, just wait. The harvest, as he defines as the end of time or the last days, the harvest in this parable represents this future judgment, which is why we see in, in verse 39, if you don't mind going there again, and the enemy who sowed them, the, the weeds is the devil. The harvest is the end of of the age. It is at that time then when the weeds will be separated from the wheat. And let me just give you a little warning here. The picture is grim. There is two things that will happen on that day of harvest. Again, Jesus, the Son of God, is teaching us. First of all, there's a day of, of terrifying condemnation for the wicked. I'm not real sure else, how else to explain that or say that to you. It'll be a day of, of terrifying condemnation for those who are wicked. Now, today in our world, we hear the word wicked, and we think Hitler. Or, or we think the most vile person we can imagine or, or consider. We think of, of the, the racist shooter in Brooklyn, New York yesterday. We hear wicked, and our, our minds go to the most horrible person or horrible situation that we can think about. But you know how the Bible defines wickedness when one person does one thing wrong one time. This is what James chapter 2 says. If you break even one portion of the law, it is as if, James says, the brother of Jesus, you've broken the entire law. So don't just think of the most wicked people you can think about. Think about one unforgiven sin. Pick it up in verse 40. Chapter 15, chapter 13. Just as, as the weeds were gathered and, and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. Verse 41, the Son of Man will send his angels, that's the reapers, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin, all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this day is coming, and according to Jesus, it's a day of terrifying condemnation for those who are wicked, for those who are unrighteous, for those who have broken God's law. <laughs> Let me just say right here that those who love in our nation today love the teaching of Jesus, they also love to skip this part. But here's the second thing that's going to happen. 
There's also a day of triumphant celebration for the righteous. And just to make sure we're on the same page on righteous, I'm not talking about the most pious person that you know or the most wonderful church attender that you know. I'm talking about the person, as we've already said once today, who took their sin, all of our sin, all of your shame, all of your rebellion, and gave it to Jesus. And then Jesus gave you all of his righteousness and all of his perfection and all of his co-heirness so that we become the daughters and the sons of God. There's coming a day of triumphant celebration. We see it in verse 43 of chapter 13. Then the righteous, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Those who have embraced Christ as king, believed Christ as king of their lives, Lord of their lives, savior of their lives, they will radiate with his glory forever and ever. But here's the deal. The dragnet of God's judgment is coming. And if you don't like hearing this sermon, I really don't like sharing the sermon. There's enough of me that's still a recovering people pleaser that loves just to tell happy stories, great jokes, and lighthearted fare for us to take in together on a Sunday morning. But the dragnet of God's judgment is coming and he will separate every single one of us in this room and in this city and in this world. On one side, are hardened hearts who refused the grace of God, divided hearts, maybe even one foot in the church, but one foot in, in the world, superficial hearts, those who may have been at church every single Sunday, singing every single song, dropping a dollar in every single time that they gather, and yet their hearts are superficial. They're far from Christ as King. This on one side are those who did not embrace Christ as Lord, Savior, and King on the other are the fruitful ones who believed upon Christ. They heard, they embraced, they followed Christ as King. They, they, they knew him as, as Lord. And for all those who do not place their faith and their life and the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, then this coming wrath is unimaginable. He will throw them into a fiery furnace. Let me just read verse 41 one more time. I think it bears repetition. I know it's not a fun verse to listen to or a fun verse for me to preach, but the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, verse 42, and throw them into the fiery furnace. I know people say this because they say it to me. I bet they've said it to you as well. Oh, that's, that's just symbolism. That's just imagery. Certainly God wouldn't throw sinners or the rebellious people, those who reject his grace, into a fire. Well, my question is, well, what's it a symbol of? I mean, it's not a symbol of a vacation in the mountains. It's not imagery of a day on the beach. I'll give it to you. It's a symbol. It's imagery. But it's imagery of a terrible place to be. See, these, terrible, these, these, these parables here, even though, even though terrible at times in, in nature as we hear them, they tell us that this coming judgment is inevitable. So it kind of begs the question of all of our hearts today, the heart of every child, the heart of every student, the, the heart of every single adult, the heart of every mom, every dad, every senior adult that is here today, it begs this question. Are you the wheat? Or are you the weeds? It begs the question, where is your heart? Or maybe to make it more personalized for you, to whom does your heart and life belong? 
in light of Matthew chapter 13, I invite every single person here today who is uncertain about their salvation to humbly submit yourself to Christ today. Oh, do not harden your heart. Don't push back on what Christ has said to us. Can I plead with everyone here today to let go of your sin, to let go of your guilt, to let go of your shame, to leave behind the pleasures of this world, the possessions of this world, the pursuits of this world, and embrace Christ who gives us life and joy and freedom. And you may have a thousand more opportunities to do so. Or for some, even listening in this room right now, today can be and should be your day of salvation, of knowing for certain that you belong to Christ. Would you stand with me as reverently and worshipfully as you can? My, my plea today is to not harden your heart toward Jesus. But my plea for you today also is not to toy with him and just to give him token affection. There is no place in Scripture where Jesus gives us the option of giving him half of our hearts or just Sundays. Could I plead with you today to yield your heart and your mind and your life to him? To believe and receive today the message of, of the kingdom. What is so fascinating about this parable is that those weeds, those who did not belong to the kingdom, and the wheat, those who belong to the kingdom, they were almost intertwined. They were so close together. As I said last week, I think most people in America will miss heaven by 18 inches. The difference between their head and their heart. Knowledge about God or surrender everything to God. In the last two Sundays, we've seen about 30 people come forward saying, I, I just want to know for sure. There's several coming forward saying, I'm pretty sure I'm not. Some coming forward saying, I'm not a Christian today. I receive this grace of God and I embrace Christ as King and Lord and Savior. So we want to give you that opportunity again today. I've asked for some to come and stand here at the front to, to pray or to listen to you. So I've asked you to do that. If you don't mind coming forward now, standing here at the front. I'm asking for all of us, before we even sing this song, to ask God to inspect our hearts. Do we belong to Jesus or belong to the world? To whom do we belong? What a merciful God to give us all an opportunity like this right now. That you're still here on planet Earth. That your heart is beating. There's still oxygen in your lungs. What a merciful God, that he would give you an opportunity like this right now, today, to believe upon his son, Jesus Christ, and to live forever. What a God. I'll be standing here at the front as well. If you want to come and pray and talk with any of us, we'd love to hear the business that God is doing in your heart today. Let's sing. 
And once you please come.